welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, I am happy to say it is the last Sunday of sabbatical. <laughs> oh, man. No, it, it's been great. It's been hard, it's been long, it's been really fast. It's been all of those things all at the same time. Um, But I'm really happy I got to see um, Micah and the family this week and oh, I just really miss them. Um, So I'm really excited for them to come back tonight. We are having a little welcome back party. Is that at four? I think, I don't know. It's in your email. Uh, Text me if you need, I'll have the accurate time. but with that, I, I just wanted to say thank you um, to everyone who has showed up and engaged and, um, yeah, shown up for each other. It's been such a gift the last time I taught uh, to have guest teachers all summer. I feel like that's had such, um, I don't know, it's just given a window to, like, the range of what's out there. And I said last time it's like church shopping, just coming to you. Um, but the last couple weeks, Stefan Van Borst has, has been speaking, and I don't know about you, but I just feel like his voice uh, spoke into this community in a really compelling and beautiful way. It was the first time in years that I actually sat through both gatherings to hear the sermon twice. <laughs> um, confession. Uh, but yeah, just was so thankful for that. And with that, today feels like a really significant day. Just in the sense that we're moving from this season of sabbatical uh, into whatever is next. Um, And sabbatical in its nature is kind of intended to do that. that, uh, And and I believe in part that's because I think that the spiritual life begins with stopping. And as we intentionally engage in a rhythm of stopping for a day, for a half a day, or in an extended time like sabbatical... Whatever happens in that stopping is intended to form something, and it's intended to inform how we live into our lives when we're not stopped. It's intended to guide our future. Uh, And so, in a lot of ways, as a community, we have been stopped. Yes, we've had church. Yes, things have been happening in people's lives, and people have still served and shown up. And... We've intentionally not done certain things because we were in a season of stopping and things were resting. And after today, that will be over. <laughs> uh, but in that vein, um, as I was discerning, like, what, what is the word for today and, and how do we mark that shift, uh, I kept coming back to a particular narrative and I sort of dismissed it because I've taught it elsewhere covenant groups kind of walk through this passage, and I didn't want to be cliche, God forbid, Um, but it felt really significant to keep coming back to it, and so I felt like I needed to listen. So this morning, we are in the narrative of Abram, or Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 12, and stand, if you are able, for the reading of the word. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You pray with me. Abba, for eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. God, would you make us present to the ways that you are working and moving? Lord, would you meet us in the places that we need, the places that are weary and tired, the places that are hopeful and good? God, we trust that in who you are, you are able to hold all of that. So make us present to you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, so this passage is a major one uh, in the sense that Abram, or Abraham, uh, is a very significant figure uh, in Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam. Uh, Abram is seen as like the forefather of the faith, of these faiths. And in this biblical text, uh, in the biblical narrative, He's kind of the first person uh, that establishes the people of God, and it's in this passage. This is kind of the beginning of it all, and I'm going to ignore so much significance um, of, of that text this morning, but it's because I think there's a thread in there that I wanted to follow that feels really significant uh, for this community and at where it feels like we are, and I want to talk about name and transition, and what it means to leave, what it means to receive a new name, and unknown futures. And I know sometimes when the preacher starts talking about unknown futures and transition, people get a little nervous. Guys, Mike is leaving, and I feel like I needed to be the first one to say that to all of you. That's not happening, so please don't read into anything <laughs> that I'm saying and talking about transition and unknown future. But it felt important to maybe name that we as a community are in a transition. It is a transition to go from a rhythm of sabbatical into a regular rhythm. It's a transition to go from summer into fall. And it's a transition to say to one of your pastors here, go. Rest, catch your breath, let the Spirit do whatever the Spirit is going to do, and, and we'll welcome you back as you are. Like, that, that's a major transition for a group of people to go through. And so my intent and hope this morning is, can we name some of that reality for us as a community, but maybe also for some of where you are individually. And so to talk about what transition asks of us and the, and the work that I feel like God invites us to do in that. And I feel like I needed to start by saying, historically, I'm really awful at transition. I don't particularly enjoy it. Uh, some people get really excited when they sense change. I kind of get like a low-grade nausea and anxiety. Um, and as I've reflected in my adult life, I've gotten a little better uh, because I value it and I think it's important. Uh, but I felt like I kind of needed to pause and pay attention to my nausea um, and ask, why is that true? And for me, it feels like, and part why that's true is because transition invites us into a little bit of redefinition. Maybe where some of our identity is uprooted a little bit. Transition sometimes asks us to leave people and sometimes they have to find new people. 
Transition sometimes requires us to learn a new thing, and if we have to learn something new, then that means you're probably not very good at it right away, and you have to make mistakes and maybe feel a little incompetent, and I just hate feeling incompetent. And yet, transition seems to be integral to what it means to be alive. That if we don't grow and adapt and change, I don't know that we can actually thrive. Because in that, growing and adapting and changing, I don't, I don't, if we don't say yes to it, I think what happens is that at best, we become a little stuck, and at worst, maybe a little obsolete or irrelevant. Transition is that shift, that rumbling that happens when the redefinition comes, when things that we have identified with and attached to are uprooted, but it's for life. And so we change and we grow in order to come alive or maybe even to stay alive. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. And so I wanted to start this morning maybe around a question of like, who is the one doing this inviting? And in the text, the proper name of God is used. And so in your English translations, anytime you see the word Lord in all capitals, that's when the proper name of God is used. And it's Yahweh. And that name is birthed from Exodus 3 in a conversation between God and Moses where Moses says, who will I say it is that sent me when he goes to Pharaoh? And God responds to him, Aye, Asher, Aye. And in our English translations, oftentimes you'll see it as I am what I am. And it's this beautiful and compelling and, and true name. But there's another way it can be translated that I just think I may be preferential to because I feel like it captures a part of God that maybe we forget about sometimes. And it's the verbal construct translated, I will be what I will be. It implies the sense of movement and action. It's a verb. And there's something about being in a relationship with a God whose name is I will be what I will be, a God that moves and acts that requires us to move and act. And so, of course, the God whose name is I will be what I will be tells Abram, go, leave. Leave the place that, that you have attached to, that you have identified with, and go to a land that I will show you which is about as vague as it gets. Go to a land that I will show you. Literally in the Hebrew, it is go to a land that I will cause you to see, which implies a couple of things. It means that Abram really can't see it, and he's really not there yet. And it also seems to be that God is saying, Abram, I will walk with you, and I will be the one, I will commit myself to you, and I'll let you know when you're there, I just need you to leave. And the second thing it seems to imply is that Abram really doesn't know where he's going. He just knows that he has to leave. And I think about all of the times in my life when I've began to sense, I can't stay here. 
whatever is like happening internally and however this place is not able or able to hold that, like I, I have to move on, I have to go, but I don't know where I'm going. And it can be a really frustrating place because sometimes the track starts to play in your mind or maybe even conversation with people, like where are you going? What are you doing? Have you saved enough? And that's just like if you're doing a physical transition, but what if it's like an internal thing? We're like, oh, I don't know if I believe that's true anymore. Or I don't know if that way that I've named myself is true about who I actually am. So maybe I have to leave it. And that's a really hard road to walk. It's a really hard thing to trust that you just need to leave and, and you don't know where you'll go or where you'll end up. And additionally, if you sense that this is an invitation from God to actually trust and listen to that prompting of a God whose name is I will be what I will be, that that God will also be faithful and good to you, that you won't be abandoned and that you will know when you're there. In verse 5 it says that Abram set out for the land of Canaan. And it begs this question, if he doesn't know where he's going, why did he choose to go there? And so if we look at the text, in chapter 11, we hear a little bit about Abram's lineage and those who have come before him. And Abram's dad is Terah, and the text says in verse 31 that Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and Sarai, and they set out together to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Which means that this was not the first time that Abram was on his way to Canaan. And it seems that Abram, in his decision to go there, is just maybe taking the best next step. Maybe using his resources, having a little conversation to discern, and feels like, oh, I'll go there. And I say that, I, I feel like that's an important thing to note because sometimes I think that we're in that transition, when we're in that transition and we don't know where we're going, we feel like we maybe have to wait for this clear directive of like, go there. And I just don't know that that's always true. I think sometimes we get a glimpse, but we're not really told the how or why, the full picture of that. And so maybe we have permission to get a little creative in the how and to trust that if we've missed it, we're going to know. Abram is given this loose sense of a promise in which he's leaving for a future for others. His name will be made great. And because of that, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through him. He just has to start moving. He just has to leave. And so here's where it gets a little tricky. So that's a really compelling promise in ancient Near Eastern culture, or maybe in any culture, that your name will be made great and that you will be blessed. Uh, maybe it pokes at the human ego a little bit, uh, but at its best, I think it taps into the human need for meaning and significance. And that really the heart of this promise and this passage is that Abram is just the first of many who will go and, and others will come behind him and, and will come to know this God whose name is I will be what I will be. But the complicated part is that in ancient Near Eastern culture, the things that give you a name are your family, your people, 
and your country. And those are the things that he's being asked to leave. Every single thing that gives him a name, that gives him a sense of identity, he's being asked to leave that in order to have a name and identity. And so it, it doesn't really make sense. He's called to leave that, to go to a land where he's not known, where he doesn't have a name, to be a stranger in a foreign land in order to receive a name. And it just doesn't make any sense. And so if we read in the text and we look at what immediately precedes it in chapter 11, this narrative is the story of the Tower of Babel. And so without going into a lot of details on what that story holds, suffice it to say that this is kind of the first account of humanity post-Noah and the Flood. Uh, and, and what happens, it says that the whole world had one language and a common speech, and the people moved eastward and settled. So there's this idea of a people beginning to lay roots, beginning to be unified in that common goal. And so they chose to build a city and a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That was the reason. And so do you hear it? That impulse to build and preserve out of fear. They fear that they will become obsolete. Because when you're scattered and you don't have a name, you can't be known. So if you just hover above this narrative, this is a group of people that fear that they will be scattered and obsolete, and so they strive and they build and they create it for themselves. And it ends up happening anyway. At the end of the narrative, they're scattered. And then we move into the narrative of Abram. And so there's this question, if we can hold the context that precedes it and bring that into our narrative today, it's as if the text is setting up this dichotomy that that impulse in us to create and preserve our own names for the sake of self is actually the thing that will make us lose it. And I think underneath that, what that's about is because when you're driven by a desire to preserve out of fear and create your own name, I think it's a false name. And it's as if the text is saying, can you heed the invitation of a God who will give you a name, a true name. And as you live into that true name, what happens is that you actually move outward and become for the sake of the other. And so the caveat here is that God invites Abram to leave to do it. Abram is the one that's actually scattered to leave the pace that he settled to be a little bit redefined and uprooted, Abram is invited to transition. And that is what transition might ask of us. To maybe be scattered for a time, to be redefined, and yet it seems to be an opportunity to receive maybe a new name. And where fear tends to be the first response, where we grasp and cling to the things that we know, I wonder if there isn't an invitation to see transition as actually a starting point, to see that leaving 
as a beginning. This seems to be a way that God works, a way that God restores and redefines identity. And sometimes the invitation to leave is because that we're living in ways uh, in which our names are false. The things that we're embodying are not actually true to who you are, and so God sees you and knows your potential and says, leave. Come to a land that I will cause you to see. And other times, like in our passage today, you're not being asked to leave anything that's damaging or causing harm to you or others. You're being asked to leave good things. But for the sake of expansion, for the sake of a future for yourself and for others. And so can we begin to see our leaving as a starting point in the ways that God might want to redefine us? So I'd be remiss to not be totally honest about Abram and this story uh, and how he left. He was told to leave everything. Uh, and he didn't. He brought along with him his nephew Lot. And it's so interesting to like read the full narrative of the story and to see all of the ways that Lot kind of pops up uh, and serves as this like natural consequence in creating all kinds of problems for Abram. And Abram eventually gets to a point where he sees that, oh man, we maybe just need to part ways. And I say that because sometimes I think, and I don't know if this is just like my evangelical background, but sometimes I feel like if I sense this invitation and I don't do it exactly right, it means that I missed it and I ruined it and that the invitation isn't there anymore. But if we look at Abram's life and the ways that he was really, really faithful to what he sensed and ways that he really wasn't, like God at work in his life still extends this invitation and he still receives a new name. Name, for me, has, has been a really significant journey the last couple of years. And if you haven't picked up by now, what I mean by name is just your identity. One of the things that we've talked about in covenant groups is that when God names something or someone in the text, it's because God sees it. And when God sees something, what that means is that God sees the potential, the essence, and the reality of it. And out of that encompassing a fullness of identity comes a name. And we see all throughout the scriptures the way that God names and changes names and then the way that those people live in to that name or who they're created to be or not. And out of that study came this question for me, what's my name and am I living into it? And I think oftentimes, you know, an easy starting point and, and how we usually read the text is you just think of like, what's the literal meaning of my name? And so Jenna means two things, small bird and white lady. <laughs> Only one of those is accurate. Um, so that wasn't a particularly helpful starting point for me, uh, but sometimes it is. So Abram is given a different name 24 years into his journey. 24 years after he up and left and listened to that invitation, 
that's when he is given his new name. And in that 24 years, he left and returned and went all over geographically. There were ways in which he doubted and, and he tried to make things happen for himself as he awaited the fulfillment of this promise that, I, that he would have a child. 24 years. And in Genesis 17, this beautiful moment happens between Abram and God where God makes yet another promise. This is the third time. God appears to Abram and says to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your descendants. And where it's translated there, walk before me faithfully, literally it's like walk around or walk back and forth. And maybe like an English equivalent would be live out your life in my presence and I will be faithful to you. And it's out of this moment, after all of this time, after taking the risk of leaving and trusting, that God gives Abram a new name. He names him Abraham, which is the father of many nations. And my favorite way to read this particular passage is to look at the letter that is added to their names. Stick with me. <laughs> so Abram becomes Abraham. And Sarai becomes Sarah, so the letter H is added. And in certain Jewish traditions, this is kind of like more in the mystical realm of Judaism, there are people who interpret every Hebrew letter to have some sort of spiritual meaning or significance. And the letter He, or H in English, is the letter that's associated with the name of God. So Yahweh, Yod, He, so it's the name of God, but also He means the breath of God. And so in this moment, what's happening is Abram is becoming Abraham and Sarai is becoming Sarah. Is an, God is adding his breath and his name to their own names. And as they receive this from God, it's almost as if the refreshing they need after 24 years of unfulfilled expectation. Maybe that refreshing to keep going and to keep trusting. It was just time for a new name. And as I've engaged this question for myself, I haven't had any H's added to my name. Um, but I've had little moments where I saw it. Most of you. Well, that's maybe not true. Many of you, if you pay attention uh, to me when I talk, I've been very <laughs> candid about kind of my journey of being a pastor. And the majority of that process for me was sort of plagued with like, oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. Don't want to do it. Not true. Uh, and so for me, like, this has been a huge question in my journey around name and identity. And I had the privilege last fall to go to Israel with a group of people, um, which felt like a good place to ask that question. What is my name and am I living into my name? I don't know that you have to go to Israel, but it felt right. Um, and so there was one particular day when I got to go to Qumran. That doesn't mean a whole lot to anybody, but for me it meant a whole lot because that was the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. 
And when I was 20, I had a very weird and mild obsession with the Dead Sea Scrolls in my wild college days. <laughs> and we went to this place where they were found. And for me, like I showed up there and immediately, and it was very interesting, like we went all over the place and some places were very underwhelming, but others were really significant and it was interesting to be in a group and to see like who was reacting to what. And Qumran was one of those places for me because what it held for me was a time in my life when I was most afraid and most alive. It was the time in my life when I first started to sense like maybe ministry is a part of who I am. Definitely not pastor, but maybe ministry. And so as I was there in the space, being reminded of this time in my life, it was very significant for me. So we left. We got back on the bus. We were on our way to Ain Gedi at the Dead Sea. Made a little pit stop at the Jordan River, like you do. And it was so funny because I came to the Jordan River, and this was one of the places that was really underwhelming. Like, it's quite ugly. Uh, there's, like, stairs, and you walk down, and a little platform, and then a little area of river just sectioned off. And this is where tourism started to pick up, so people are, like, baptizing each other, and it's weird and whatever. <laughs> so our group was, like, off to the side. And someone in our group decided, like, man, I, I want the leader of the trip to baptize me. So to know this person, like their favorite thing, their like expression maybe of faith is like icons and orthodoxy uh, and the desert fathers and mothers and, and that whole expression. So as this person is walking down into the water, all of a sudden... 50 Russian Orthodox people, dressed in all white, start descending the stairs singing. Like, perfect harmonies. And, I, like, I'm sitting there like, whoa, what, what is happening? And I'm watching this person, like, something, a reflection so true of who they are as they're being baptized. And this person comes back up, and my friend turns to me, tears streaming down her face and she says, Jenna, I think I need you to baptize me. To which I was like, okay, okay, we can do that. And so I went down into the Jordan River and I spoke words of name and blessing and identity. And I baptized her. And then another friend came and another friend came and I baptize them, which is about the most pastoral act that you can do to baptize someone, for them to go under the water and shed any skins that they don't want to live in anymore. And I got to do that. And I left, and, and as I was sitting on the bus, like by myself, kind of processing on the day, I realized that like the thing that I ached for and longed for in my 20s is here and I'm living it and I'm living in my name and it was just this tender moment where like nothing significant changed but I saw like I'm doing it 
And so this morning, maybe more significant than my awesome story, and hopefully what you sense is an invitation to you to maybe sit with this question, what is my name and am I living into it? It's maybe a collective question, awaken. What is your name and are you living into it? When Awaken started eight years ago, the reason Awaken was called Awaken is because we wanted to be a group of people that were waking up to God's dream for the world. So what does that mean now? It's been a hard year, and we're coming out of a season of sabbatical, and we're about to welcome our friend back just as he is. And so the question is, as we leave this season of sabbatical, can we go to a land that I believe God will cause us to see? What does it mean to actually live into our name and to be awake? We have been named Awaken. I believe that God has seen our essence and our potential. And so what does that mean in this new season, in this unknown future? There will be all sorts of opportunities this year to engage intentionally in our community, to deepen in community with one another and to serve one another, but also to be awake to injustice and the ways that we participate in that. And that is the work that will never end and that feels fruitless and tireless and yet we lean on a God and we define ourselves by a God that has enough and will not run out. A God that will tend to the places where we are weary and depleted. A God that will provide enough when we don't have enough. And a God that will lead us in the way of forgiveness. So awaken, what is your name and will you live into it? As we transition this morning into a time of response, we'll take a brief moment of silence and um, have a few songs. And, and during that time, you're more than welcome to respond however you'd like, if that's sitting, if that's standing. Our prayer team is available over here. But this song that, that will come out of the teaching has been an important one for Micah in the season that he's been in. And we've been singing this every week in hopes that we can gift them and welcome them back next week was something that has marked their season, almost like we're holding it with them. And so my hope is that in singing that together, we can acknowledge our individual and communal season. My hope is that it gives us that, a sense that even in transition and redef redefinition, God is still at work. So we're going to take just a moment of silence and maybe to sit in the question, what is my name and am I living into it? Or maybe what is our name, and are we living into it? Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are a God that sees us, that you are a God that names us, that you are a God that is at work in the midst of the ways that we are being redefined. So I ask, maybe in this moment, that you would be especially near that you would say the things that we maybe need to hear. In your name we pray. Amen.
find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.